1: Why hello, Owen Jones here, welcome to the podcast. Now we have got a massive treat for you today, we are only speaking to Stuart Lee, I think we'd all agree one of the funniest people alive. We got talking about his new film, King Rocket, which you really do have to watch by the way, the state of comedy, Brexit, woke, the culture wars, how the pandemic is hitting the arts, and how these days, if you say you're English, you get arrested and thrown in jail. Now, a bit of housekeeping, this new podcast is all about offering an alternative to the right-wing media, taking on injustice, speaking truth to power, offering optimism, showing there is another way. Also, though, we're going to have some fun, otherwise it gets a little bit heavy. So we've got loads of interviews, discussions, documentaries for you to listen to, but we want to expand, offer even more content, so anything you donate via the supporter function in the podcast description is massively appreciated, or go to patreon.com forward slash owenjones84, and you can become a regular supporter, that way you've got a say over who we speak to, what we talk about, what issues we focus on. Whatever you do, please, please give us five stars on this show on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and share this show with your mates, your family, workmates, whoever. So after all that blah blah, here's my chat with Stuart Lee, who is always on top form, but in this case particularly so. Now if you don't love this, then frankly, you're dead to me. Hello, thank you all for joining. I'm beyond honoured to have a man who needs i would say no introduction but i'll just say the formidable comedian Stuart do it such an honor to have you here thank you very
2: much for having me it's really nice to see you and it's nice to talk to people as well <laughs> no, I know, it's, I... like, it's like going out it's good
1: tell me how yeah. you're coping in that because i i talk to my cats a lot how are you going through this
2: well cats are, i mean actually we've got we've got three cats and um they have been invaluable in that they've sort of, they create their own little narrative of their adventures and relationships, which takes your mind off things. I've been, I've been all right. I'm one of those um uh, uh working from home types who actually has the guilty pleasure of enjoying the first lockdown really. I, and I felt terrible about it, but I liked the silence. I like being able to smell the flowers and hear the birds and not see the planes and, Walk long distances across empty London, and then obviously the death toll is now insurmountably appalling. Mm-hmm. Having worked five nights a week for most of my the last thirty years, I am going a bit stir crazy, and I worry. Obviously, you know, I'm lost. I've lost a number of people to the uh, knock-on effects of COVID, exactly. um, and uh, and also, um, you know, one one fears for the things you like most about life and when they will come, when they'll come back. Obviously I'm, I'm probably not going to be working for, you know, it's like a two year block almost out of, out of doing live work. And I worry about how music and comedy will come back um, with music, with the added knock-on effects of the economic problems caused by Brexit. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's starting to, uh, starting to, you know, I'm I'm economically insulated against it in a way because my tour went down halfway through, so I'm I was working, but um, yeah, so it's it's starting to not not it's starting to be difficult to find anything positive about it, really. Well, how about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm you see, I was I know lots of people like that in the first lockdown, they were like, Well, come yeah, on, yeah. we get a different pace of life. The yeah, air yeah. was cleaner, I noticed that it was a it was significant. Was, <laughs> It was like been in the countryside. Yeah. Uh, it was so quiet and all the rest of it. But I never, I struggled ever to see. I mean, obviously, we, you know, it was a, it's a horrific national ca- catastrophe. Yeah. But I, I always just found it I, because I hate solitude. I hate writing, and that's my job. I appreciate. I've probably got the wrong gig there. <laughs> but, but the bit that I did like was chatting to people, and yeah. so, you know, when I'm researching a book, I interview, I go and meet people, I travel about, I get. And I just found like being trapped in a flat with my own stupid thoughts. Yeah. I mean, well, out well,
2: way. I also think. I mean, you're you're a, a a frontline participant in the culture war, and I feel like that's that's much. been happening in a kind of insane bubble where um lots of things have been said that have no kind of practical application to the world because we're all isolated. And I, I you know, when I, when I the, the last tour. Which I will resume at some point. I've got about seventy dates left of it. The, you know, the, I wrote it at the back end of two thousand and nineteen, and the first half of it was sort of about the culture war. You know, and if I were to put that that back on the road now, it would be a nostalgic look at two thousand and nineteen, which was a, a, already seems like a more civilized, um, less intense time in terms of how that debate was going on so you know it was been... weird isn't
1: it in terms of that i mean we'll, we'll come back to a bit about yeah, yeah. a bit later on but yeah. i just it, it seemed to be this iron law from basically 2015 onwards that however bad you think things are things can always get a lot worse and 2019 <sighs> yeah. just seen them like by then it was like this is just getting ridiculous and silly and, yeah. and then the world collapsed yeah so turns out there is still a long way, and then this still year it, begins. it can't be worse. And then there's yeah. a boot of town in the United States,
2: yeah. It's like the Sam Kinison line. I've, I can't even remember what routine it's in, but he goes, We've hit another layer, let's keep digging. <laughs> yes. it does feel like that. You know? <laughs>
1: so. Just before we talk about stuff like that, um, I want to talk about your new film, uh, King Rocker, which is a genuine masterpiece. It was That's very genuine. kind
2: to say that it was, it was done with um. Me and Michael Cumming uh, directed it and edited it all in his shed, so he deserves a great amount of credit for that. So, Mike, in yeah.
1: your shed, here's to yeah. both you, your shed, and your yeah. talent. Um, just tell me, this is about the 19 years. It's, it's a really fascinating uh, documentary. It's full of humanity and warmth, but it's 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 got lots of layers, layers lots of layers. Just tell me, tell us about how it how it came about and what well, kind of what you were trying to do with it almost
2: well when i was a kid like lots of uh, men of my age i used to listen to the john peel show and the nightingales were on it all the time and they were uh, from birmingham where i grew up and i really liked them and i liked the words and i found them inspiring um uh, they uh, had a comedian on their record label called ted chippington who's the reason that i do stand up and um then when they re- they sort of they, they were in various kind of manifestations, they disappeared for about 10, 10 years. And when they came back in the noughties, Rob Lloyd, the singer, had heard that I was a fan and asked me to open for them, uh, which I, I wouldn't normally do that, but I did it because Ted used to open for them, so it seemed fair enough. And um, then I got to know him. And about 10 years ago, he said to me, you know, could could you make a documentary about the Nightingales, a bit like the Anvil documentary, which is about a sort of unlucky heavy metal band? Um, and I said, well, yeah, I don't think it should be like that though, because I think the Nightingales are one of the great post punk bands. Um, and so I I spent about seven years trying to figure out how to do this. Obviously, you know, you know, you know what it's like. You, you take ideas to broadcasters, they're not interested if it, if it's someone they haven't heard of. Um, everything now is commissioned by sort of algorithms so it's how do things relate to one another so if you've got a genuine new idea or an an outsider that's not been written about it's quite hard to land them also I would probably have found myself replaced in it by some younger person with a better uh Instagram following and um (laughs) so you know it we just wasn't really getting anywhere and then by weird coincidence I found out that Michael Cumming who's a director who did Brass Eye and Toast of London, who'd done the pilot of my comedy vehicle series, was a big Nightingale's fan. This was about three years ago. And I said to him, do you want to try and make a film about the Nightingale's? Um, and we'll just do it ourselves. So we raised a bit of money by doing um, three. Uh, we did about three shows where we, uh, I did stand-up work in progress, and he showed a film he'd made about Brass Eye and you know, about five, 600 people came to them and we got that money in. And we did a bit of little bit of crowdfunding and some very strange people donated. Um, and you know, we just got on with it really. We paid, we had about 12 days filming with a crew who we had to pay. The rest of it, there's such warmth towards Rob Lloyd, the singer of the group and the group itself that lots of people helped out for nothing. We realized pretty quickly that it was gonna have to be a story about Rob Um, And then I remembered when I was a kid being interested in this forgotten statue of King Kong in Birmingham city centre that was abandoned, but has now been kind of critically rehabilitated by the Henry Moore Institute. And I thought that would make a good counterpoint to the story of Rob. And the film came together, we finished it. uh, Michael had learned to edit. He edited it in his shed in uh, Northamptonshire, in his garden. He finished it in March. We were going to tour it around cinemas to make the money back. Lots of little art cinemas were interested. It was going to be in the Sheffield Documentary Festival. And then the COVID came. I don't know if you've noticed that. Oh, so could happened? We couldn't tour it around. Um, we tried to place it with broadcasters, again, mainly to bafflement and lack of interest. And then, bizarrely, uh, Sky Arts, which is now free to air, have taken it up, and it's on... The sixth of February, Saturday night on Sky Arts at nine PM, and that is the nuts and bolts of it. Now you have to ask questions about the textual nature of it.
1: Well, as you know, I'm a very high profile cultural critic; uh, it's my bread and butter. <laughs> um, I mean, it's interesting because it did. Obviously, I instantly thought of Anvil, the story of Anvil, which I, which I loved. It was a great. It's, yeah. that's, that's a great documentary. But I, 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 mean, I preferred this. I mean, partly because, as you said, I mean, Anvil were the they were. No, I mean, they know this. They did a documentary about it. They never achieved stardom. They they were the, the heavy metal yeah. band that never, that never made it. And the Nightingales, who I confess I didn't know much about.
2: No one does, um, yeah.
1: Um, but I'd heard of. Yeah. Um, that, you know, obviously they, they were in a, in a different league. I mean, I'm really interested because Rob I loved the guy. I thought he was, you know, um, a re- he, instantly liked him. Instantly liked yeah. him. We'll see why. What I thought was interesting, he's from a, you know, he's a working class um musician. And, you know, pop music was driven so much by working class artists. Yeah. in from working class communities. Yeah. And I remember, I, I don't know if it was Jarvis Cocker or some member of Pulp um, talking about this, um which was that it was it was possible before the kind of attack on the welfare state and so on, for aspiring musicians and other artists, not just musicians, comedians, uh, you know, and, and artists of different kinds, that they could support themselves and then, you know, be be able to hopefully aspire to their dream of becoming, you a, know, a a, a a band that makes it. And yeah, yeah. that's become so much harder now. And, yeah. and, you know, a lot of, if you look now, the evidence, the statistics are about music, pop culture, the number of people from private educated backgrounds and only 7% of people go to private schools, but they're disproportionately represented people from more privileged backgrounds. That, that kind of tradition of Rob Lloyd is in decline, isn't yeah, it?
2: Yeah. Well, I have to flag something up here now, which is there was not, there was not a, stre- a stretch of the imagination by which you could say I was working class, although I'm not as middle class as people slagging me off on the internet like <laughs> to think, but I, but in some ways that what, I, what we hope to get from the film was a a, tr- a tribute to that sort of period And I think it started to go wrong in the early 90s, where um, all sorts of factors conspired to provide um, a sort of safety net for people trying to pursue uh, careers in the arts from um, less privileged backgrounds. First of all, you know, you had housing benefit, you had squats. If you went to college, uh, you didn't come out with a huge debt. Um, You had the enterprise allowance scheme, bizarrely, which... um, which uh, Thatcher introduced to try and massage the unemployment figures. And every stand-up I knew in the 80s when I started out was on Enterprise Allowance. Michael Cumming, our director, was on Enterprise Allowance as a director. You had to prove that you had some cultural ambition and you could uh, you could apply for it. And Jeff Dyer uh, wrote a great piece that I think I read. Uh, I forget where it was, but it was about how, for him, the 80s was a kind of postgraduate course and you know he lived in a, in a squat in Brixton with all sorts of people trying to do different sorts of things all influencing each other and um this that that sort of a- atmosphere was there I thought it was particularly ironic when Boris Johnson was mayor of London there was some anniversary of punk the 30th anniversary or whatever and he was talking I remember seeing him talk about the great contribution London made to this brilliant cultural phenomenon and of course there's no way that cultural phenomena could have happened in a London were with uh, such reduced um, available housing stock uh, with so many uh, massive overheads um, and uh, with, with, with such a sort of uh, difficult lifestyle for artists and you know that's again Jarvis Cocker writing in Common People is very much about how people from a particular kind of background were able to have access to to the art so I, I was just on a podcast with um, Andy Miller about books blacklisted and we were looking at The Bloater by Rosemary Tonks which is a sort of look at the art scene of London in the mid to late 60s and what really dates it is the fact that everyone in the art scene in London at that point is still from a privileged background and obviously rock and roll was going to blow that open and change everything And, uh, and after that point it wasn't the case. Um, I'm a patron of Josie Long's charity, um, Arts Emergency, which is about trying to encourage people from different sorts of backgrounds to study uh, uh, arts at university level and in further education, because they do need this diversity of voices. And um, Rob's a really great example of someone who in that period was able to subsist and get by. And, um, and you know, we we're we've, we're losing these sorts of voices from the culture. And so, I, I, you know, I hope on some level, the doc- the documentary does serve as a kind of, um, a, a, a record of that, of that time.
1: I was really, I mean, what, what was fascinating about it is of course, unlike Anvil, Nightingales did have huge amounts yeah. of success relatively, but, you know, Rob himself, he, after that huge success, he went through periods of, quite, quite a protracted period of struggle, mental health struggles.
2: It looks like it. Yeah. Although, although, you know, I'm not, I'm not a journalist and I knew as a writer, I knew the film needed, you know, it needed that. Well, well I've, I've since realized that unconsciously it follows the model of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, which is in so many stories from King Arthur, you know, great myths, Lord of the Rings, everything, loads of Italian Westerns. There has to be a bit, there's the struggle, the success, and then there's a bit where it all goes wrong and some equilibrium has to be clawed back. There's obviously a 10 or 15 year bit where it really went wrong for Rob and a proper journalist would have um would have nailed that, would have gone deeper into it. But I am a human first and all, first and foremost before <laughs> I may. And I couldn't really bring myself to force the issue on that. But what Michael did that was very clever was got Rob to talk to his son um, and to Bridget Christie my wife who's a fan of the group about that sort of period. So we did kind of, we did get, get some of what had gone wrong. Not, not as much as I would have liked. And there were, there are probably, I mean, there was a story involving him jumping out of a moving car with a, yeah. a bag of cash that I was never quite able to, having I mean, to sort of escape from someone <laughs> I that I was never really able to work out exactly what it was or how it fitted in. Um, but you know, there, there was that, there was that bit. There's the that that bit in it, the dark bit. Um, so I'm glad you were able to see that was there without it, it being it. explicit. Yeah. No,
1: no, no. It was very subtly done, but it was woven in. Yeah. Um, and people must watch it. And it is it is part. A lot of it's like intruding on this hilarious conversation between two very good mates. That's how it. it you know, it, it's it's it's. And so please do watch it. Well, I mean, you know,
2: you know, what's nice about that was that was that. I mean, I I did three comedy panel shows in the mid '90s when I was really broke, and what I didn't like about those was that um, people are trying to step on your head, you know. They they, they want to have the last word because that's how they get the point. It's rather how, in the same way as everyone in the Tories conducts political interviews now, they're sort of looking for a bit that can be chopped out, uh, irrespective of what happens around it, you know. And um and and uh. So there was never there wasn't really any cooperation in those. There was never a feeling of the good, the, the the greater whole of trying to get the laugh for the show rather than for the individual. But in conversation with Rob, um, the, the conversations are really funny in a way that they're not on panel shows uh, yeah. because they're just some people laughing generously um, at each other, um, and uh, and so it, it, people have really said that about it that it's fun to watch people just really laughing at things each other are saying rather than it being this sort of peacock display of wit. And um, I think it's particularly good at the moment because there's loads of footage in it of people in pubs, packed pubs, laughing and drinking and being nice to each other. It's so terrible. (laughs) You think, oh, God, when will we be able to go? You live near Lexington, don't you? i lexington. do yeah, yeah uh, that's where going. you had your horrible thing I'm, wasn't it, it?
1: being up by nazis
2: yeah you're right now
1: oh yeah yeah totally yeah, fine yeah. i'm t- i'm tougher than totally. i look which is a very very low bar yeah
2: is i think of a lot when i think of what can't you do i actually think of the upper room of the lexington where you know as being one of my happy places a room full of people all looking at a stage drinking you know I anyway. mean, that's
1: you know what I. I mean, it's funny the Lexington. I should emphasise because I feel really bad about the Lexington because they were all over the news. Very, it's the last place you expect to be being yeah, up. It's, by really
2: nice. it's a really nice place. Yeah, I, yeah. it's a
1: lovely place. You don't yeah, expect yeah. someone with quite literally a house full of na- neo-Nazi memorabilia to be turning up and yeah. uh, looking for lefties to get yeah. back. But in terms of yeah, I mean, it, I, I did feel a bit moved in the film. Partly, I think we're all on an emotional edge seeing people in pubs laughing, <laughs> yeah. drinking. Yeah, you know, very natural, non contrived humor. People not having to socially distance. In terms of comedy, I want to talk about this. You, you mentioned the cultural. I think it's really interesting because, and I remember. By the way, I, I think I might have said this last time we chatted. I interviewed you about three years ago in a different world. um I one of my fun teenage memory was your Radio One show. Uh, it was on a Monday evening, I think. Was it yeah. I think it was? Yeah,
2: with me, me and Richard Herring, that was. It was,
1: and yeah, it was yeah, after, yeah. I was like 12 or 13. Yeah. It was after my it was after I was supposed to go to bed. And I had this little kind of transistor radio, and I'd I'd always, every Monday, I remember this, I'd line bed and I'd have to turn the volume down so they couldn't hear it. I'd have to pretend to be asleep. Every single I'm not joking, it was the highlight of my week when I was 12. That's
2: one of my, the nicest things I've ever heard. Because you know, when you that's how I used to listen to the radio when you know, when I was 12, and the idea that you that it was somehow illicit and that you've helped to make something that someone consumed in that way is, is a, a delightful so thank you uh, no no, no yeah. i remember
1: the batteries one once and that was that was my highlight of my week yeah I mean, yeah, yeah you couldn't go back in those days and listen no, to you couldn't, no, shows no. you'd missed unless you'd recorded it on a cassette or something yeah yeah and um, yeah so in terms of the culture there's this at the moment it's kind of one of the fronts of the culture war is so-called woke comedians at the bbc
2: yeah
1: and i suppose in a way they're kind of the right in the tories if they were going to be emblematic of the sort of comedian that they kind of put make a demonic figure they'd probably think you wouldn't they
2: well they do they do but the clever ones um they then try to say but i'm all right Stuart lee's all right because he's you know he's actually not just parroting you know they, they try to sort of then go one further and make out that, uh, that they're not just against people because of their politics or against them because of quality or you know whatever there's sort of this other thing happening now but the, what, we have to be careful discussing the, the 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 uh bbc's um attitude to so-called woke comedians because actually the debate about about it like so many of these things was entirely fabricated by the right uh, in the week that the um that uh the new uh guy took over davy uh, was that his name, Tim Davey. Yeah. Uh, it was. He was expected that that week he would make some announcements about the direction of the BBC. On the Monday of that week, uh, the, the Telegraph, I think it was, uh, ran a story from an unnamed source within the BBC who said that uh, Davie was expected to clamp down on. Um, woke uh, left-leaning comedy and that there was that it was all biased and whatever then this story really took off and by tuesday or wednesday because of the telegraph's unnamed source uh, people like me were being uh, rung up by podcasts and news sources and whatever uh, to comment on it and i remember saying specifically to the to the times that i wasn't going to comment on it until we saw whether it was actually true because these things have a habit of not being true, don't they? Whether it's about the statues or the National Trust or whatever, there seem to be these unnamed sources who are happy to talk to the telegraph that then turn out to say things which don't can't be attributed to anyone and don't have any relationship to what then actually happened. So by the middle of that week, there was this whole culture war being fought. Nish Kumar, as usual, was being used as a political football in it. Um, and... Uh, uh, and it, it had really kicked off then on the Thursday um, so there was all this stuff about these news stories about how the woke comedians were going to be clamped down or whatever on the Thursday the new uh, director did a, 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 an internal speech uh, to the BBC which was only um, available on the BBC's in-house um, you know broadcasting network uh, about what his intentions were um, I managed to hack into it Um because I am like sauron and I uh control everything. <laughs> and I um, and I uh I heard a journalist say to him, Are you going to clamp down on left wing comedians? He said, I've no idea where this story came from. He said, um, and uh of course there will be more criticism of the government from satirists at the moment because the government are the people that are in power. So inevitably they're going to be um uh, they're going to be criticized but it but it was too late because by then the made-up culture war story had been placed and the, the, the tories have a number of attack dogs that they put out there with these fabricated stories ben bradley until recently was a fairly useful uh mouthpiece for all this kind of bollocks but he seems to have overshot his bolt recently um you know, and uh, th- this is this is how they do it. And it you know, they, they they do it. They on the day uh, last, uh, this week, when when uh, Boris Johnson was talking about the need for people to be more uh, kind and considerate and whatever, uh, some other uh, Jenna was out there um, making up stuff about the statues issue uh, to do with um, t- talking about commemorations of slavers, and he was using the usual stupid terminology about the wokeariety and whatever and um you know the the best thing to do with these things i mean here we are talking about it but the best thing to do with them is to completely ignore them and the people that try to say them and not engage with them at all because what they're trying to do by making up these stories and putting them out there through their mouthpieces like the telegraph is to provoke you into responding in some way and if if they can provoke you to respond in an angry way then you become a caricature of the angry black man or the uppity black woman, or the miserable left winger, or whatever, and that gets snipped out and circulated around. And um, I, I I admire the restraint with, with with which when you're on those newspaper review shows, Owen. And I know you have to do them because for a commentator like you, it's your it's your bread and butter. But 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 to 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 avoid being wound up, because that's what they want. They fabricate the culture war, they make up the story, and then they want someone like you to say something unguarded about it because they've been wound up. And this is a strategy, and it's a strategy they've learned from Trump, and it's a strategy that the Boris Johnson government in the Cummings era pioneered. They may now be trying to pull back from it. In fact, what uh, Boris has done is, he's done a very Trump-like thing, which is to employ a spokesperson, Allegra Stratton, as a firewall between him and the press. Although now, the job of this Trump-like spokesperson appears to be having to deny that Boris is like Trump. (laughs) Which is really funny, given that the reason she's been hired is because somebody obviously thought that it's worked for, for Trump when he had this sort of succession of sort of not nicely turned out women lying for him so uh,
1: you know
2: but I mean I don't know how you stand it I, that's why I could if I were to go on um, question time or something and I'm asked to do these things I would set back the cause of liberal <laughs> politics in Britain by about
1: 20 years because I'd end up punching someone in the face so I don't know how you how you do it really punch a wall before you go on television right okay really yeah very soothing. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Nish Kumar because he d- protects Nish Kumar at all costs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, they always and they always go for him. It's, it just shows again a lot of it. They yeah. go, they go for I people know. of color in particular. Yeah, uh, they go for women. It's grim. Yeah. I mean, on that the culture war thing, I find it difficult because in terms of the kind of when people talk about a culture war, what I always think it means in practice is very unpleasant. People in the right wing media saying very unpleasant things about minorities who don't have a big voice in the media. Yeah. And then it's a case of, you know, I mean I think look, the minority because I have a you know, I'm a gay, I'm a gay man. In the eighties and onwards, obviously and today, gay people are just like, we just kind of want to just get on with our life without, you know, being scared of being beaten up if we hold hands in the streets. And Obviously, we had lots of laws that were, you know, rigged against us, uh, discrimination, couldn't have a civil partnership, adopt, all the rest of it. Um, But it's always spun when minorities are just saying, could our lives just be okay and not have to deal with this relentless crap all the time? And the other thing is is how it's it's become countervotes to working-class people. You know, I grew up in the centre of Stockport with in a work work, in a working class community though i'm not working a working class hero either uh but i grew up with people and obviously working class people aren't just white men in the mid 1950s in the mid 50s with socially conservative views no Uh, working class people can be gay they can be black, obviously and i think that's the issue isn't it it's it's, on the one hand it's kind of basically their view is with the cult they're waging a culture war um and, and if minorities ever try and deign to respond, then it's a the case no, of, you're the well, one you who know, the culture war. This is, de- this is deliberate.
2: You know, it's a deliberate attempt to frame it as a conflict between ordinary, decent people and all these gays and black people <laughs> and woke karate <laughs> and artists. And, you know, my, my, um, my my uh, wife Bridget will, will get attacked online as being as being some sort of for being an example of a university educated middle class liberal, and she isn't university educated and isn't middle class and comes from a large working class family whose parents worked in manual labour. But the assumption, but her position in the culture war is only understandable to these binary uh, arguments that you know she must be uh, must be of that, and this assumption is made, and it's um. You know it's 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 crazy to make these um the, the to, to, to to how we were allowing this to happen and, it, and it, it, it it worked in the states we've seen where that ended up and uh, we need to pull back from it um you know uh, but obviously as a comedian i um i, I you know I, I worry that on some level the comedy part of me contributes to that because i um you know i like to take extreme positions in in comedy i'm not um you know the job of the comedian isn't to be this reasonable person sort of having these thoughtful discussions but um when i'm talking to you i can be (laughs) i can be normal yeah, yeah I, I like
1: the idea. So as a comedian it's like well actually be careful about what you joke about because you've got to think about the societal impact yeah i mean it's not really how common <laughs> yeah, well,
2: you get this you know you get
1: like you
2: used to get attacked for things you'd said now you get attacked for um things you haven't said like you might do a joke about sausages or something and so i want to put when are you gonna do a joke about the, the pedophile gangs in the north <laughs> of england you know it's like every time you kind of just it's like you've you have to sort of append that everything you
1: do joke about yeah i mean on that isn't that the problem with this debate i mean as you said it's not something we should all generally be drawn into as a discussion but right-wing comedy isn't isn't the problem i mean i think have i got news for you's producer is a conservative or one of them is and said the problem is isn't that we don't try and get right-wing comedians is they're just generally not that funny i do think there's an exception jeff norcott i've met i've interviewed him i think it's quite funny but isn't the problem it's a lot of it is punching down
2: Well, it gets discussed in these terms you know and that was that was a, a, a phrase i think uh, chris rock coins although again if you were to go back and look at some of chris rock stuff from when he started out certainly attitudes to sexuality are a, a bit breathtaking now but um yeah i, I don't know i mean. Uh, on the whole there hasn't been a good right-wing stand-up and I I, when I wrote about that a long time ago now I tried to think of it in terms of um clowning and that on on some level the you know a stand-up isn't the same as a columnist it's not the same as Jeremy Clarkson writing a column or Rod Liddle writing a column um a a stand-up is a, a live thing um and it's like a it's a clown it's an archetype of, 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 of that of that kind of comedy and the clown on some level has to be a sympathetic figure normally a tragic figure on some level and so because of the way the world is stacked uh, uh, um, a a, lib- a liberal comedian or a comedian complaining about social injustice or whatever um is always going to be a tragic figure on some on some level i thought this is one of the great things about jeremy hardy is that it, it, the, the gulf between what he wanted and what we were given was so vast that he was never going to be anything other than an unhappy, alienated man. And so I think that made him a sympathetic character. Um, and uh, but um, whereas the, when, when the right appear to control everything and get to be able to get what they want, it's harder for them to fulfill that archetype. Mm. I think there will be better right wing comedians in the future because at the moment, the the ones that are getting exposure aren't great. And some people, I think, are aligning themselves more with the libertarian cause or the right, because actually now, um, the uh, cowed BBC is desperate to get them on to show that it's got balance. So there may actually be a career incentive in uh, going that way. And once people, it's a bit like when people used to say, There were no, uh, you know, particularly good action particular minorities in or in any area of life. Um, Once you put some out there, then people from those um, areas uh, of of society think, "Oh, yeah, we can do this." You know. So I suppose what I'm saying is that, um, you know, it's sort of they're they're not. It's a bit like encouraging not I can not But anyway it's um it, you know it will start to it will start to to turn. Um but now it's now it's definitely a career move it's a career move to be of the right. It was I thought it was weird that the, the BBC got blamed for this um uh, perceived bias in in comedy because um because uh you know uh, in the, in the 90s um that they ha- the bbc was made to hand over lots of its production to production companies you know and they they sourced the comedy from these production companies so who is on our screens is largely decided by two or three large production companies that provide the uh the comedy uh, to the bbc and the bbc have been told it had to do that in the interests of a level, level playing field so um and those companies only they have no morality um the you know i mean something like uh um Phil McIntyre is as happy to tour Nish Kumar as it is Douglas Murray. You know, it doesn't have um, a morality or, or a political position. Um, so they just put together things that they thought would sell, and uh, you know, the market will decide. And um, you can you can criticize me as much as you like. But the fact is, a quarter of a million people will come and see me live, and I'm not on TV all the time. You know, now. Um, So, you know, the the market is there. In fact, even Farage said that when um, Paul Nuttles from UKIP was saying that Johnny and the Baptists who are a great, funny, left-wing, satirical musical act who get no TV exposure and will bring the house down if you go and see them and leave you feeling like you're walking on air. um, uh, uh, he, He wanted them to not be able to play any publicly funded venues because they had a song making fun of UKIP um, and Nigel Farage waited in and this was after UKIP had had a, an old school uh, right wing racist comedian at one of their events and said that you know the market had to decide which is quite interesting he was cleverer than <laughs> he was cleverer than Paul Nuttall
1: um,
2: um, Paul yeah from UK. hard to remember now isn't it I forgotten know- forgotten leaders of UKIP
1: they get through about one increasingly unhinged leader for yeah. six months now. Yeah, uh, yeah. With like, and they you can check them up on Twitter. They're just like random trolls off Twitter. Yeah, but yeah. On that, isn't the thing with right-wing comedy, and it kind of reflects, I think, the trajectory of a lot of the kind of populist right, where they've basically become like a guy coming up and burping in your face and going, ah, did that disgust you? Yeah. As in they're constantly obsessed with, you know, uh, you know, they sort of parlor this alternative to Twitter, yeah, and the reason it did get shut down, but I think one of the reasons it didn't work is they actually feed off what they think is the perceived yeah. defence of the left. You know, actually, you can almost imagine a talk radio presenter soon torturing a a kitten live on air and going, ah, offend you? Do you know what I mean? Well, no, actually,
2: there was a really good um, sketch about this in, in the in the weirdly, I I liked a lot of the performers on um, the, uh, the 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 Daily Mash. Was that what it was called? Yeah,
1: uh,
2: and um, but uh, but I don't really like the format. I don't really like people sitting behind desks and reading things out. Um, uh, but the the last series under under lockdown, they had to kind of cobble it together like this, you know, down people's uh, webcams, and there was a great thing on it, uh, making fun of exactly that kind of thing of like, oh, have I offended you? And it was like some columnist I think he was called uncle disgusting or something like that and he, all his things were about trying to uh, get a shock out of you so um yeah i mean it's, it is like that and if it, it, it once it happens in a vacuum it's kind of um it's kind of irrelevant
1: People were very excited that I was going to speak to you. And, and in terms of suggested questions, am I going to lie by saying what happens if you say you're English these days didn't come up a lot? It did. People kept asking me to put that to you. As so well ask as me that, about what? About- oh, uh, what happens if you say you're English these days? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, that, was, that, was, yeah, that was another
2: thing. That's kind of – that was just I'm – so, I'm so, that's part of the problem with lockdown is I love going out and about and talking to people and um because i'm not like a household name you people are, will just most, look most people don't know and will recognize me you know um
1: i but, think that's just because people off the telly don't always look like you expect anyway carry on
2: yeah well they don't at the moment anyway but um I, 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 I miss video. talking to people and i get so many hmm. funny ideas from things people say. And that they say you're english uh if you say you're english, you should get put in jail i mean that, that was that was in a uh, uh, that was in a Black cow coming back from a late night gig. It was the it was and that that conversation happened from um, Balls Pond Road <laughs> to Stoke Newington Church Street along Albion Road. And I devil's advocate, you know, about a quarter of the way into it, I thought, what does he actually mean? You know, and really, um, the people write the stuff for you, you know, like Paul the, the 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 thing of mine that Asian Dub Foundation sampled, which was the new year number one pop pickers in sales charts. Uh, coming over here that was just basically a transcript of some stuff Paul Nuttall had said just exaggerated a bit so i kind of feel a bit he should get a credit really he should get a credit for the writing. you
1: know he's become one of the main it's become one of the main memes on the internet it just it will it, he's yeah. become the new godwin's law sooner or later every right. conversation on the internet will end up with so do you, you,
2: blah 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 you get blah, arrested blah,
1: blah, you get arrested just to yeah. say you're english and people yeah they finished the line there's what? a
2: scarf <laughs> of it did you know that someone did a scarf of it there's a football scarf of it which i have nothing to do with and like i was doing something and someone, well, i bought your scarf okay what <laughs> They thought i'm like a, a scarf millionaire now but there's a it looks like an england football scarf and it's got if you say you're english you get thrown in jail these days it's got the judge from the monopoly board going like that on it I actually found the bloke on the internet, and I went, you know, I'll, I don't mind, but you know, give me some, I'll sell them at gigs or something. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> at least
1: get some commission out of it. Yeah,
2: I um, know, yeah.
1: The yeah. more serious question: What state? Someone asked, what state will live comedy in the arts more generally be in after the pandemic?
2: Cheerful well, question. I don't know. It's terrible, isn't it? I mean, we were. T- I was just about this this morning. You know, I mean, I'm okay. I uh, I came down halfway through a tour, um, and uh, you know, I'm i'm i've got somewhere to live i'm fine right but um the the, in in stand-up most people um operate most people operate on um very tight margins most people that are working comics work four or five nights a week in rooms in the back of pubs and they make a living out of it you know but those have all gone i know people have been able to apply for furlough if they can show what they've made but it doesn't really always work like that event some of the venues have been propped up some good venues um probably run by the sort of people that don't understand the, the kind of language that you have to use to apply for funding have not been helped out we'll definitely uh, lose a generation of people and we'll lose a generation particularly of the sort of t- talents and voices we were talking about at the start um people that don't have a fallback position or haven't got family money to support them. Uh, that's in comedy. Um, my w- one, of, one of my worries was that the sort of production companies that manage acts, uh, book tours, and um, make television programmes would try and acquire venues. Therefore, you know that uh, you then had to be with them to play them. Therefore, it further narrowing the filter that gives access to different kinds of voices. So it's not, I don't think it's looking good. We'll see what happens on the other side. I, um, have, you know, I've been trying for a year now to schedule runs of gigs in smaller venues so that they get the door money, um, uh, you know, to give them the door to, to keep them open. But those obviously keep being pulled. And you know, they had the ticket money, which is good, but so we'll see. M- music is an even worse position right. because a lot of musicians, um, make money doing teaching or whatever on the side that's all uh will have gone down and also if you look back over the history of your favorite mid scale to unknown bands over the last 45 years since we joined the eu you'll finally like the fall have got a you know live in zagreb album you know i mean like touring europe economically uh became a, a real lifeline for those sorts of groups um and uh, it shows it's absolutely naive of um, the Tories to, to, and of Roger Daltrey particularly. Who I'm really, really angry with, to think that um, that, that um, the, the lack of uh, freedom of movement for artists after Brexit will not polarise like that, and people just won't. Well, I've got a relative whose um, whose uh, grandson is in um, uh, you know, music college. And, and uh, she, she's a Brexit voter, and uh, I just brought this up, and I didn't even mean anything right. I said, of course, it would be very difficult because he, uh, if he's a touring musician, he won't have access to, um, to uh, you know, being able to do all these European shows. And people just go silent. They, they've got nothing. They can't come up with anything. And yeah, it's awful. Um, and we'll miss it, you know, we'll miss it. Um, and hopefully, people will be able to, to claw something back.
1: So Yeah, for those who don't know, Roger Roger Daltrey, of course, criticised restrictions of musicians touring Europe after voting for Brexit. It reminds me of the um, uh, the woman who voted for the leopards who eat faces party saying, but I didn't know they'd eat my face. Yeah,
2: well, I mean, um, those those stories are, I mean, they're, they're anecdotes. The, the stories of people that voted for Brexit only to find it makes their own lives impossible are, you know, they're, they're, at the moment they are a cluster of isolated anecdotal stories and to be fair we don't it's too soon to say what they add up to but it's difficult to avoid the dramatic irony of it you know one can't even take pleasure in um the schadenfreude of adultery because it's so irritating but he's always been like that i mean he, he runs um you know, he does the teenage cancer trust. And yet he was a UKIP voter at the time when Paul Nuttall, he's been talked about more <laughs> on this than he has for about five years, but Paul Nuttall wanted to shut down the NHS and sell it all off. So it just absolutely, the bloke's an idiot, right? And um, he should keep his mouth shut because he, every time he opens it, he causes ma- massive damage to people's futures and livelihoods. Um, but, you know, I mean, It's just pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. And you've got this clip of him doing the rounds, shouting down a reporter in 2019, who's asking him about touring under Brexit. And now he's signing the agreement. That agreement should be changed, that the government should um, make it possible for all musicians to tour Europe, except Roger Daltrey, who has to live in a rabbit hutch now, (laughs) singing. I hope I die before I get old over and over again on a loop in a little rabbit hutch in a forest. <laughs> you know, but, um... you can flying it with a mod target drawn on it, you know, it's just.
1: I like the way you started around with Roger Daltrey and resuscitated poor Nuttall's career. It's going well. Just yeah. the final, final part, final part. We'll see if we can end on a hopeful note somehow. But it doesn't just, I mean, Trump's gone. That's that's a bonus. You've got to take what yeah. you can in the yeah. 70- you know
2: I was watching that last night I must admit morbidly I was I was I was going to talk to someone online last night and I went would well, you mind if I don't because I want to watch the riots happening live on uh, the news but there weren't really any but you know if, if you're um, a champagne socialist like me there's all sorts of things you can pick apart about um, Biden's voting record um, you know and uh, the, uh, and the various things he's said and done over the years and things about American politics that he's enabled that you don't necessarily like but God, what a relief! You know, I mean, it is like a horrible cloud has lifted, and we, it's yet to be seen what happens. But you know, it was it was very very moving to see the changing of the guard last night, even in those bizarre circumstances.
1: Yeah, I mean that's why yeah. I think. I mean, in a way, it's 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 breathing space, and yeah, whatever. And I do have I've got major problems with him. I mean, even as vice president, when they were obviously fighting each other for the nomination, yeah. Right back, past association with races but even for example the muslim ban being repealed the paris accords yeah. on climate change and that's the existential threat facing humanity these things yeah. matter and
2: have you seen that ted cruz has tried to spin um to explain it? tell
1: everyone tell everyone yeah Oh, you played
2: right yeah okay right yeah, yeah. No, no no go on tell them tell, well, them tell them ted cruz has tried to spin the pa- the paris uh, rejoin the paris agreement he's sent out a tweet that suggests that he thinks it was deliberately chosen to misunderstand that it's something to do, it was an agreement negotiated by the citizens of Paris on their behalf, and that Biden um, prefers the, the citizens of Paris to blue collar workers in um, in uh, energy industries in America. And it's, you know, it, and I think Ted Cruz knows that that's not the case, but is doing what we were talking about earlier, which is trying to inflame a culture war that pits uh, blue collar America not only uh, against black people and artists and gays, but against just French people generally.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <But> su- <laughs> easy- Surrender monkeys, I think they're called them. Yeah, it's yeah. Like the views of the citizens of Paris more than the jobs of the citizens of Pittsburgh. What yeah. are you talking about, Ted Cruz? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah. In terms of Britain then, finally, I mean, obviously we've got the hardest possible Brexit with consequences you've already described. Yeah. Um, the Tories have quite a big majority. I suppose what my concern is... Looking at the polling, I mean, look, like over 100,000 people are dead. The country is in a complete and utter state. We've had one of the worst affected countries on earth. Yeah, they've still got a polling lead. And I just kind of ask, is that you know, to what extent? I mean? Well, you know,
2: even that... even um, Peter Oborn, uh, you know, wrote, wrote a piece during the last um, uh, phase of, of uh, campaigning about the uh the press and the media being stacked against the Labour Party generally and against Corbyn specifically. Um and um uh you know it's a hard thing to get by. You know, we we're uh, um we've we've all watched um uh p- 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 Prime Minister's questions where uh, Keir Starmer uh is able to ask, you know, the the sort of logical questions to to Boris Johnson that anyone could ask really um and yet uh, his r- r- rubbish answers to them rarely make the news um I think it is a it's a struggle against um against the biased media um I mean w- when um when sky Arts wanted to buy uh um King rocker the old part of me was thinking, well, it's Sky, you know, and Murdoch owns these shares and, and whatever. And I always had, I, I actually turned down um, a, a better Sky deal financially to, to do work with the BBC in, in the noughties because I thought it was more moral in some way. And yet the guy that's been put in charge of the BBC now is a bloke who's donated £400,000 to the Conservative Party and is... Um, uh, involved with those tufton street right-wing think tanks that seem to be invited on everything and are utterly unaccountable though i don't really know um you know i don't really know how you overcome that uh, I, I mean the, the transparency of the fact that uh, B- B- boris johnson has made allegra stratton his spokesperson and then her own husband is getting front page news stories placed that he's written about how great boris is you know it's just it's a it's a, a terrible um, uphill struggle. You know, it, it, it may be that the more renegade um, uh, voices on the right, like um, uh, that talk radio station that Julia Hartley Brewer does, that now they won't carry some of their clips on YouTube. It may be that they are reined in because we've seen what's happened with Trump. But again, that won't be a moral decision. It will just be... Um, uh, platforms like youtube or twitter thinking that they don't want to be held legally accountable if violence is stirred up um, by those sorts of commentators uh, which is all that's happened with with trump on on a, on um, twitter it's not it's not a moral decision it's just that they don't they don't want someone suing them if uh, someone's killed in a, in a riot that trump has instigated but you know we'll see i just think it's an up it's an uphill battle against uh, a biased media and yet the and yet the the Culture has managed to spin the idea that um, that uh, you're, you're getting a, a liberal biased media.
1: Just finally, then, let's see if we can end on a hopeful note. I mean, I mean, i mean, interested vaguely. What do you think of Labour's new management, Keir Starmer, but also in pandemic ravaged conservative Britain? What hope do you have? Cheer people up if you can. I mean, can be honest if you can.
2: Well, um. I think that that some good, it's yet to be seen how America resolves the divisions that have been stoked there, but um, I I think there's a sort of nervousness now um, amongst some people uh, on the right about using Trumpian tactics. We'll see how long it lasts certainly it makes it's made no difference to um, a, a lot of people um you know you know i, I don't i don't know i mean I, I, when and it's like you said um the the, the, the the it seems that just when you think it can't get any worse it does and um you know i i uh and it's, it's it's difficult it's intimidating i mean i i'm i am not as uh as visible a, a political commentator as i might be because w- with the little that i do do um the uh, amount of shit i get and 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 it is often unmanageable and i worry about how it impacts on my my family and my children and i don't know personally how you cope with it. And we know that for you, there have been, um, you know, actual physical criminal consequences, and uh, which were dismissed at the time that you were attacked by commentators on the right as fabricated or hysterical. And, um, uh, you know, when, whenever, whenever someone says my name in the street, my immediate reaction is to be very suspicious because I worry about where it's going, you know. And so it's 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 a scary time to want to comment on things or to want to make a difference. Uh, I don't know what will happen. I don't know if the, you know, will, will the people that were angry uh, and enough about the world to want to vote for Brexit be even more angry when they realise that they were lied to, which they surely must do uh, when you have people like Jacob Rees-Mogg dismissing the concerns of fishermen that he previously weaponized out of hand in such a facetious way uh, I, I just don't know I, i'm glad i haven't got to write the rewrite of the hour of the touring show right now because i feel like we're in flux and i don't know where things are going
1: yeah no, I'm just but look thinking.
2: i've got all these cds so i'm all i know right. i was going
1: to yeah, say that's yeah. a lot of cds you've
2: got all those books It'd be all right
1: i find it depressing now that if if you're like ten, you won't know what a CD is, maybe or a cassette. It's yeah, an alien, increasingly alien concept. But yeah. yeah, you got on that. You know, just finally. I mean, I was just I, it, it, that's why I get angry. The point you made about the media, because when I got beat up by a man with a house full of Combat 18 and. SS flags.
2: It's really funny when you say that. I mean I'm glad you I'm glad you've seen the funny side of it. Cause it's sort of it's, that sentence is so to, to have gone through saying well, he's, made, he's made it up, he probably punched himself in the face.
1: They did, to get did sympathy. The, the, the funniest bit of the trial. I don't think I've ever discussed this because it made me because obviously you've got to find human in all these things. But when, he was such a pathetic guy as well, honestly, he was so sad. Yeah, no, sad, isn't it? Yeah, he was like this 40-year-old loser, and I just thought yeah. but he brought in his former housemate, and they must have practiced this line beforehand. Yeah. Uh, because they 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 said uh, to his housemate, would you would you trust? The defendant he said yes absolutely in fact so much so that if i had an attractive girlfriend and i went to bed and i left him chatting with her i would trust him not to sleep with her i was like <laughs> that's your baseline of trust you wouldn't have sex with your girlfriend yeah
2: yeah yeah.
1: But, yeah, I just get annoyed about the right because I that was the culmination. Normally in the streets, everyone's very nice to me. Even people go, yeah. I don't always agree with you. I get that. But
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, no, that's a nice one, isn't it? I don't always agree with you, but I well, I really like that yeah. about people. Right? And I like I like I like being able to say that to people because <laughs> it makes yeah. me feel like I'm a reasonable bloke.
1: Exactly. You know? <laughs> and they oh, sometimes they'll get you a pine or whatever. But yeah, what yeah. annoys me is when You know that when I got attacked, it was the culmination. I kept having Tommy Robinson fans around Westminster trying to get in the face, and it's the fact it's the right wing media who've whipped them up. They've been when we talk about Islamism, we talk about who are the hate preachers who radicalize fundamentalist, yeah, fundamentalist Islamism um, of the terrorist bent. But who are the hate preachers radicalizing these people? And it's anyway,
2: yeah. Well, well, you know, I mean, I I have got friends and relatives who I can only explain their change of heart in uh, and their drift towards the right and the far right in terms of they've been radicalized and i know who radicalized them and what websites they were looking at and i know that it's impossible uh, to meet them now and um yeah and and we would if if those views had come from um from islamism uh, or from Abu Hamza, we would say they've been radicalised. Simple as that. But you know, people are starting to understand that. I think.
1: I hope so. Shoot, sure, we've taken up way too much of your time. That was a huge, huge honour. Uh,
2: well, it was really, really nice for me. And I I, I, I really, uh, you know, I don't always agree with what you say, but it was not, like, I, like, so, I, I really part. like. I, I think it's really, um, it's really valuable, and I, 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 I um, admire your patience when you're on those uh i'm I'm one of these news junkies that sits up and i i always watch what's on the the papers reviews and i admire the the patience with which you um you and i've actually got to the point with those though where there's people if someone from those tufton street think tanks comes on i just won't watch it I, i don't want to hear their bought lies you know and um so uh Anyway, but thank you for having no,
1: me. No, 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 thank you. I just go to my happy place. Oh, uh, right. honestly, it's uh, it is a it's a massive honor. And I know people That's are be very thank excited you. to watch and listen to this. Thank you so much, Yuri. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Cheers for listening, everyone. If you want to support us as we expand, it is massively appreciated, either on the supporter function in the podcast description or at patreon.com forward slash Jones 84 Please like the show on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast share the show with everyone we've got a lot to come so speak soon
0: imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time